Want to get the edge with your Premier League betting predictions? Pinnacle have teamed up with InfoGoal to delve deeper into the data for all the Premier League matches each game week. You combine betting market data with InfoGoal's performance data to try and find Pinnacle customers' value in the odds. This is EPL Insights. Welcome to a brand new season of EPL Insights right here, courtesy of Pinnacle. I am Gareth Wheeler alongside Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal as we get set for an all new Premier League season. The 22-23 campaign is going to be a wild one, a quick start to the season. The World Cup sandwiched in between what we expect to be an incredible campaign. Jake, it's good to see you. Uh, You and I together for a full season of Premier League action. I can't wait. The only downside is you have to hang out with me on a weekly basis. I wouldn't say that's a downside. I look forward to this very much. We have a, we had a great time last time in the in the very brief sort of stint that we did. Yeah, the season itself is going to be fascinating. I mean, some real serious moves in the transfer market by many teams, which I'm sure we'll touch on. It's going to make and, it really interesting and uh, and ultimately very competitive. And other moves that we're waiting to see if they're actually get over the line or not, and we'll see where things end up at the end of the month. How did you spend your summer? Because um, aside from the women's competitions, there hasn't been really any men's tournament football to speak of, which has been a rarity considering what recent years have looked like. Yeah, it's it's been um, you know quiet from the general football standpoint, but we have been busy with the women's Euros. We've been covering that on InfoGoal, um, and also busy producing a, a start of season Premier League betting guide, which um, has all sorts of fun facts in there. A lot of the XG stuff, which I'll discuss in this in this pod, um, and some really really interesting segments such as tactics, how each team line up, um, how will they fit in key players, um, players to watch, any sort of stars that potentially could come out um, this season um, and, and much, much more. So I do urge you to go and download that. You can find it, uh, a link to the to the PDF um, at InfoGoal app on Twitter. I've had a quick peek, a sneak peek, the Sporting Life powered by InfoGoal Premier League betting guide for 22-23. It's going to be a must-see, must-use as we build up to the start of the brand new season. If you have any questions, by the way, or comments over the course of the season, you can get at me on Twitter at Gareth Wheeler. Uh, Here at Pinnacle, the best Premier League odds for all the matches. We're going to deal with the futures market, of course, today as well, as well as to look ahead to the first match day of the season. I've been busy being a dad, so this is really great, getting back into the swing of things. I found myself in recent week being up all hours of the night watching preseason football played in in Thailand, in (laughs) Australia. Um, That's how much I've been itching and scratching for this. I've just been waiting for the Premier League to come back and here we are and we're good to go ahead of the new season. Shall we get to business here and start digging into the futures market? Because it seems like right now the markets are being dominated by one of two teams who the public believe are going to be crowned Premier League champions next spring. Will it be Manchester City? Will it be Liverpool? That's where it seems like the conversation is being had. Man City coming in at minus 164, Liverpool at plus 251. What are you seeing in the market? Has there been any movement? And there could be there could there be any perceived value in terms of anyone else kind of breaking that dominance in the top two? 
the short answer would be no, I don't think, in terms of the breaking of the top two. I think the you know City and Liverpool, the streets clear everyone else from an underlying numbers standpoint. I think their recruitment's been sensational as well. I know obviously Liverpool have lost Sadio Mane, which is a blow, but um, ultimately they brought in Darwin Nunes. And, and what we've seen in recent seasons has been that the players that have been brought in from Portugal have a really, really good success rate coming straight in and, and firing very, very quickly. So the likes of Ruben Diaz, obviously Luis Diaz last season, Bruno Fernandes, all coming in and all really hitting the ground running and, and making an instant impact. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if Darwin Nunes did something similar. Um, but, you know, in the blue corner, you've got Erling Haaland, who's just walked in the building, um, an absolute monster of a striker who just consistently gets in good scoring positions. Um, uh, and that ultimately will bode very well at Manchester City, who create an absolute hatful of chances. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'm quite sweet on Tottenham this season. I think that they'll have a good campaign. I don't know if they'll, they'll, they'll certainly bridge the gap between themselves and, and City and, and Liverpool, but whether they'll be able to do it that much to be competing and make it three or three, don't know. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to stick with Manchester City. I think, um, you know, usually defence wins titles. Um, and it's ever since Pep Guardiola has come to the Premier League, so that's six seasons now. Um, his team has been the def- best defensive team in every single league season based on expected goals. So, um, you know, more of the same this season. And, and I think that they'll win the league, making the, the 164. Do look, it looks quite appealing. I think the minus 164 that you can get on City to win the league. You know, they're hitting staggering numbers, aren't they? I think they've averaged 91 points over the last five Premier League seasons, 97 goals over that time as well, uh, an average. So they're definitely going to be tough to stop. I kind of feel like the departure of Sadio Mane, not enough has been made of it. Like this has been one of the top players in the Premier League year in, year out over the last five or six years. This is a player that had 16 goals for Liverpool last year uh, and an XG of over 16 as well. He's kind of right on par there, Jake, just in terms of his peripherals, the numbers that he has. Luis Diaz, Darwin Nunez, these certain these players certainly aren't like for like. And I'm not sure if there's much of a slam dunk as Sadio Mane has been for Liverpool or, or over recent years. Do, do you think that's been downplayed a little bit too much potentially? Um, I do, yeah. And I think it's been downplayed because of the trust that everyone has in Jurgen Klopp. Um, they trust him so much that that he'll make it work whatever sort of players he's got at his, at his disposal. And I think it was really interesting the way in which Liverpool finished last season with Mane almost playing as a as a as a striker um, and making that front three really fluid um, and you know pressing high up the pitch, making the runs in behind, switching positions with with Diaz and and, and Salah where necessary. Um, and you know I think. While Darwin Nunes isn't the same physique as Sadio Mane, I think he does bring similar kind of traits in that he can play all the way across the front line. Um, his hold-up play is arguably better. He's quick in behind off the shoulder. He likes running the channels. He likes pressing. Um, obviously, he's very young as well, which which is has to be seen as a positive given that Sadio Mane was getting towards the latter end of his potential peak. Um, so yeah, I think I, I think it will weaken them in the in the short term in the in in the immediate future. Just while those, you know, while they find their feet with a new front line and um, whether Nunes comes straight into the team or not, you've, you've all of a sudden then you've got two players who are basically fresh in, um, if you like, because Diaz has only been there six months. So it'll take them a while to find their feet. But I, I think that Klopp, you know, he should be trusted to get this right and, and find a formula that, that fits everything that they want to do. Um, 
So yeah, I'm 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 concerned about the immediate future because there's always teething issues when you bring in new players. But in the long term future, I think it is probably good business for Liverpool because ultimately Mane wanted wanted a big pay. He wanted a big payday, didn't he? And, uh, and Bayern Munich gave him that. Liverpool didn't want to break their wage structure too early. They wanted to give Salah that extra. Uh, extra money in the contract to keep him for an extra season. Um, and yeah, they got a bit of cash for him. 40 million sounds doesn't sound like a lot for a player of his calibre, but when you factor in that he's coming nearly 30 year old, slightly older maybe, um, and you've got Nunes in who's much, much younger and you're going to get more years out of him. Um, I think it was good business uh, in terms of future planning. Uh, plus 251, that seems to be, that's where there would be some value. If you want to back Liverpool in this market, City at minus 164, it's hard to find a weakness in their team isn't it? Uh, I know that Laporte is being announced. Pep Guardiola, uh, as we're recording this today, um, said that Laporte's going to be out for the first couple months of the season. They, they, they let let players go like Jesus and Sterling. Fernandinho moves back home. Zinchenko move on. But then you, when you look at Erling Holland coming into the team and Alvarez up top, it's going to be a little bit of a different attack. They didn't have that pronounced out and out number nine last year. They will certainly have uh, that in Erling Holland. Calvin Phillips seems like a good bit of business. And Cucurella has handed in a transfer request from um, from Brighton. He hopes to land with, with Pep at City as well. Is, could this team be actually stronger this upcoming season or based on the games and the expectations? And also the focus clear and present on the Champions League as well. They're odds on for a reason, but how are you looking at the race? The moves that they've made in the market definitely strengthened them from an 11 standpoint, a starting 11. Um, but I, I'm very surprised that they've let the likes of Zinchenko and Jesus go. Um, you know, there might have been some stuff in the in the background where they were unhappy with the amount of playing time they were getting, in which case you have to sort of move them on. But you know, ultimately, that that would be the area that I think that they have got slightly weaker is the depth. Um, you know, we saw at the back end of last season when it was harsh to call them bit part, but they were bit part players. And, um, you know, that is where Pep um, earns his money and, and the academy earns his money, uh, his money because they can bring through the likes of Cole Palmer and, uh, and almost use those youth teams to flesh, uh, youth players to flesh out the, the, the squad and, and make them um, a little bit more competitive from uh, a general depth perspective. So, um, yeah, if there was one sort of, a bit of niggling doubt. It would be the 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 strength in depth, given that they've they've got rid of the likes of Jesus and, and Zinchenko, as you mentioned. Anyone else? I know you mentioned Spurs. Uh, they've been a buzz team. Obviously, Antonio Conte, a fantastic manager. Uh, they've done some really good business. At least it looks like they have or over the course of the summer months as well. Uh, they, they have the third best odds to go on and win the Premier League at plus eleven hundred and ninety seven. Um, better than Chelsea. That might surprise some. Thomas Tuchel, I'm not sure how much of a reaction has come about 4-0 preseason loss to Arsenal. How much can you read into the preseason and some of what the managers say when they're clearly campaigning for transfers in rather than transfers out at this time of the year? I, I think that there might have been a little bit of an overcompensation. There are a little bit too much of a reaction to, let's be honest, a meaningly, meaningless preseason loss. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you said it. The word meaningless pretty much sums up preseason um, from results. But anyway, the main thing you want to get out of preseason is to get up to speed fitness wise, is to understand how your new recruits play, fit them into tactical systems. It don't matter in preseason because um, there's so much tinkering goes on with the the starting eleven. The you know, I think watching the, the start of preseason Liverpool versus Manchester United and Liverpool basically played three different 11s um, and <laughs> yeah it's it, it, yeah 
I personally don't take any stock in any preseason results whatsoever. It's just a, um, um, yeah, it's just about getting fit. But having said that, I think the, if you're right, that the odds have moved slightly because of Chelsea's defeat, but also because of Tottenham's um, sort of strengthening uh, and the backing of Conte, which I think could be absolutely huge for um, for Tottenham this season. So shall we just move to the top four? Is there anyone else worth mentioning in terms of a potential play to win the league title? Uh, not for me, no. I think there's there's too much change at Manchester United. Um, I think they'll be interesting to watch this season. The uh, Eric Ten Hag will make them much more attack-minded. They'll be better. If Arsenal, they went close last season, didn't they? Um, you could say they bottled it towards the end of the season in terms of just letting that slip. They've strengthened, but I just I think that the, the four that finished in the top four last season will finish in the top four again. Um, and I think that they're ultimately Chelsea, it's between City and Liverpool for the title. I can't see anyone else getting close. Um, unless there's, you know, some major transfer dealings made by Chelsea in the, in the next few weeks, which could happen. They've, they've got the funding now to go to go and do that. Um, but yeah, two horse race. And then for me, I, I can't see Arsenal and all Manchester United um, closing the gap in the top four. All right. Jake is saying no Leicester City, 5,000 to one. It's going to happen. <laughs> This season either. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty good bet right there. Uh, as as far as the top four market goes, uh, your top four favorites to finish in those Champions League spots, City, Liverpool, Spurs, and Chelsea. Uh, you're getting plus odds for teams like United, Arsenal, Newcastle. Might be some good value with West Ham. That was a team that jumped off the page to me. The fact that they're not playing um, you know, Europa League football this year. What do you make of that market? What do you make of um, where you might be able to find some value in terms of a top four play? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting market. Like I just said, I do quite fancy the top four that finished last season to be the same for um, this time around. Do you? Um, but at the prices, I don't... It is a short price, don't get me wrong, at minus 145 for Tottenham. Um, but I still think that's a bet. I, I, I would almost call them a lock for the top four personally this season. Um, I think the 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 fact they've got Antonio Conte in, for me, he's probably the third best manager in the league behind Klopp, uh, Guardiola and Klopp. Um, the way he transformed their underlying process last season was was sensational, taking them from a relegation threatened team based on XG to a you know top four contender, the third best team in the league. The additions of Bissouma to strengthen the midfield, long later strengthen defensively, Richarlison for that added, added uh, attacking depth, Perisic for the extra wing back. Um, uh, yeah, they, they look an absolute threat to me. Um, like I said, a lot for the top four. I think that they could really um, do something special and, and win a trophy at the very least this season. That that front four in you know on paper. Kane, Son, Kulosevsky, Richarlison, that's going to cause teams a lot of problems. Um, and then, you, you know, the midfield of uh, Bissouma, Bentenko, you know, that that to me, that is a solid, solid midfield. Um, and you've got Hoiberg if you need to add extra strength in there as well. So, yeah, they, they, they're my team to watch. I think that they could really be, um, uh, you know, closing the gap, as I said before, on, on City and Liverpool. Uh, and I do make them a lock for the top four this time around. And, and I won't be surprised if they won a trophy because Conte is, uh, wow. after all, he's a winner. Um, and the squad now is is taking shape um, to, to compete on all fronts. I think that I, I do rate them that highly. But let's be honest, it is Spurs. Um, they need to go out and prove it, need to go out and do it. I look at those signings and, and you mentioned a lot of them. Perisic is in his mid-30s now. I just, maybe I'm a little bit, 
underwhelmed at the signings. I think they bought a lot of names. I think they brought in some more depth to the squad, Jake, but um, there's no way that I make them a lock in the top four. I think that Arsenal probably have a better chance. We'll see what United, once they finish up their business, what, what they actually look like. I think there's real genuine competition there. And I think that Spurs are anything but a lock. Uh, if there's another side that you think that could maybe um, do something and make their way into the top four. Would what do you make of West Ham? Because that's a team for me. You get some real real value in terms of the number. A team that was right about there last year it looks like they're in in the mode of strengthening their attack and bringing in a genuine number nine to provide some cover and maybe um, a different type of player than Mikel Antonio in attack. And, uh, you know, a group, if they're healthier at the back, decent manager in terms of the Premier League and David Moyes, that's just a side for me that I think is on the rise. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that Declan Rice has stayed, to be honest with you. But as long as he stays, this is a team that I think is going to be right in the mix. Yeah, I, I couldn't disagree with you at all. I think they'll be there thereabouts again. I think they'll be in the mix um, for the European places. I just think top four is a bit of a stretch for them um, at this stage. I, I think they need a couple more additions. Personally, I'd like to see another midfielder come in the door um, just to sort of give some backup to Rice and Suchek, who seem to play every minute of every game. Um, uh, yeah, they, I, I like the Skamaka signing. I think he's a fantastic player. Uh, watched him in, in Serie A. I think he could do some real damage for, for West Ham and potentially improve on Mikel Antonio. And, you know, I'm a massive Antonio fan. He uh, helped my beloved Sheffield Wednesday get out of League One uh, about 10 years ago now. So he'll he'll always have a place in my heart. But I think Skamaka, um, for his all-round uh, ability and what he can bring to West Ham, would be a slight improvement on Antonio. Um, and, you know, there's every chance that bringing Skamaka in also means Antonio can play out on the left or the right-hand side as extra depth if required, um, which is also an area that we saw them a bit thin on the ground towards the back end of last season, having to rely on players like Yarmolenko um, uh, and Ben Rama, who's in and out in terms of form last season. Um, yeah, I, I like I like West Ham as a team. I think they're a really, really good team to watch. They're very entertaining. Um, they play very um, sort of open brand of football. Uh, they can mix it with the big guys as well. And I think the you know the results against the big six last season, particularly at home, were um, were fairly impressive. So yeah, I, I think that they'll have another good season. Um, I just think top four's a little bit of a stretch for them. Let's go to the other side of the table in terms of the relegation numbers. Uh, Bournemouth is your odds on at minus 179 to go straight back down. Uh, they haven't added much whatsoever. It's tough for a club like Bournemouth making the jump and determining what they can spend and what they can do. On the other side of the equation, Forrest and Fulham, the other two sides that have come up, they brought in all kinds of different players to try to bolster their chances. There's a bunch of sides that you'd say are vulnerable from the get-go. The change is that Leeds instills no confidence in terms of what they might be able to accomplish, losing Phillips, losing Rafinha, Brentford losing Christian Eriksen, a player that once he joined the Bees at the end of last season, in the 11 games he played, Brentford won seven of those games. Ericsson's now gone to United. They're certainly weakened. Uh, some questions will remain around Everton, Wolves, a team that punched above their weight in terms of points and their expected expected points last season, season as well. What jumps out to you about the places for relegation? Because this seems like a place where you can find some some decent value in the market. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think the, the, probably the, the bottom eight teams in the league, we could probably make a case for them all being relegated. Um, you, you mentioned quite a few there. Wolves, 
finished last season horrendously from a, a results and an XG process standpoint. Haven't really strengthened either, which could be a massive issue for them. Um, Southampton, another team that finished last season really, really badly. And people sort of forget because of the drama that happened on the final day with Leeds obviously staying up. Southampton finished just a couple of points above Leeds. So they, they you know, one more win um, or take one of their wins away and, and they were in serious trouble because they finished the season horrendously. Um but yeah, I, I'm really, I really worried for Bournemouth. I think that they're rightly the the favourites to go straight back down. I'm not a massive fan of Scott Parker uh, in terms of his managerial ability, particularly at this level. He's got obviously a really good record in the Championship, but he has overseen two really good Championship squads when he's been there, which has been quite fortunate. Um, so yeah, I think from my perspective as a value play. I'll be looking at one of the other teams you mentioned, Everton. Um, I'm not sold on Frank Lampard. I think their transfer business has been um, sort of really underwhelming, disappointing. They've lost Richarlison, who was one of the key players keeping up last season. If 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 he was, if no one scored for Everton, um, or he was the only one that really bagged at the end of the season and, and fired them to safety in those really narrow one 0 wins. So that could be an issue for for Everton. And yeah, I, I think they're worth a little bet because I don't think that you know that they're going to be there or thereabouts. You're going to get a run for your money um, uh, on this bet, no matter what happens, because they're not going to finish in the top half. They're going to finish in the bottom six. It's just a case of whether they actually get dropped into the mire. And um, and I think there's every chance given the the underlying process that we saw from them last season. Jake, I got to tell you, I I don't mind the Dwight. Um, the Dwight McNeil signing. I think it adds some steel in the midfield. I still think they need a little bit more up top. I'm with you. I don't trust Lampard at all as manager of Everton, but I just think that they have enough to stay up. I, I just look at the likes of Bournemouth. What's Forrest going to be? What's Brentford going to be? Wolves, they're the prime candidate for me at plus 529. Wolves to go down? I can see it. We'll see if Ruben Neves stays because you're right. They've been conspicuously quiet this transfer window and they punched way above their weight last campaign. Yeah, they did. Um, I, just, I, I, don't, I just, I think they've got a bit too much quality in that team personally. Mm. You know, you've got likes of Martinho and like you said, Neves is still there at the time uh, of recording. And then up front, you've got likes of Jimenez, Pedro Neto, Daniel Pedence, Nelson Semedo at right at, at, at right wing back. Yeah, I, I personally think they've just got a little bit too much um, quality to go down. Um, I know that we've said that a lot of time around certain teams that have ended up going down. So, um, you yeah, know, it's not the be all and end all, but I do just think that they'll have a little bit too much. And, and for me, if you put Wolves and Everton starting 11s side by side, the one looks considerably weaker and that and that's Everton's. And to be interesting to see what he does this time around, does he stick with that defensive style of football that got them the results and kept them safe? Or does he twist and go to his attacking brand of football? And I think if he does the latter, Everton will be in serious trouble because you've got defenders there that aren't used to playing a high higher line up the pitch. It's going to be easily exploited. It's the reason why the players like Michael Keane has been struggled so much from this transition from Burnley to Everton is because at Burnley, you effectively under Sean Dice, you just sat on the edge of your box, blocking things, heading things away, clearing things, there's no space for anyone to turn you in behind. Um, so yeah, if, if Lampard does sort of want to transition to a more advanced style of football, I think it could really catch them out uh, and cause a few issues for them. So that's something interesting to keep an eye on throughout the season anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't see where the goals are coming from. I know Calvert-Lewin's still there, but... You know, can he stay fit? That's the big question. If he if he can't stay fit, then there's nothing else, is there? So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm intrigued by Everton uh, for all the reasons because I could see it just going completely wrong again this season. 
Well, both Everton and Wolves both bringing in former Burnley center backs in Tarkowski and Collins, respectively. I'm not sure if that's the right mix. I'm just looking at your info goal stats from last year. Wolves finished 10th, expected points uh, were 16th in the table. They only gave it 43 goals, but they had an expected goals against of 61. 61. That can't be sustainable. Uh, the, the Wolves was the first team that I circled, no. and, and I suspect two of the teams that are coming up will go down as well. So those are my favorites to go down. Yeah, and you, Brentford, Brentford would be my fourth. So, But you're the expert here, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you're right. Yeah, to bring up the, the sort of underlying performance of Wolves, and I mentioned that they finished the season performing like a, a relegation threatened team and um you know it's a really weird season because at the start of the campaign they were performing like a top four team based on the underlying numbers not getting the results um and then at some point it went the other way where they were getting the results but the performances were rubbish and then at the end of the season is when the results started to catch up with the performances and we had the regression to the mean which is why they had such a struggle towards the back end so um one to keep on the radar but as i said i just think they've got a little bit too much quality in the squad um they'll be better with you know i think dharma is back in the building so he might add a bit more to their um, their front line, their attack, and and you know they've got Jose Sarr in the net, who was you know sensational last season. He was the best goalkeeper based on post shot xG um, in terms of out outperforming the xG face. That that kind of stat is extremely noisy, and it's really hard to repeat that kind of level. So, um, but all in all, I, yeah, I, I think Wolves will be in the bottom six or seven teams in the league, and and. You know, from what we're both saying, we're not expecting there to be, uh, you know, massive gaps between that six and seven. We're expecting it to be very tight um, in terms of candidates to go down. So, yeah, if it, this, it really is a wide open market this time around. Uh, in terms of the teams that are coming up, Bournemouth, uh, Forest, Fulham, uh, Bournemouth minus 179 to go down, Forest plus 114, Fulham at plus 129. Uh, which one of those sides do you think is the best chance of staying up? Um, personally, Fulham. I, I I'm a big Marco Silva fan. I think he was um, really harshly treated in his time at Everton in the Premier League. Um, I don't know if you remember, he was he was sacked after a bad run of form. But uh, during that bad run of form, the underlying numbers were really positive. So the performances were really strong. They were getting loads of good scoring chances, just not converting them, and that ultimately cost his job. And you know, it took him a while to get back on the radar, didn't it, in terms of the English uh, media and the English club? But the job he did at Fulham last season was simply remarkable. Um, Mm. Obviously, he had a very good squad um, on his hands. You know that that uh, you know that has to be a caveat in terms of the fact that he was in the championship with a sort of Premier League squad, if you like, with some serious Premier League players. Um, but they they broke the record for being the best championship team in for goals ever seen since we started collecting data. Um, wow. Their expected goal difference per game of plus one point one is streets clear of the second best, uh, which I think was Leeds when they got promoted around zero point eight per game. Um, so they 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 do come up to the from the championship as the best championship team in for goals ever seen. So that stands them in fantastic stead. And they will play attacking football under Marco Silva because that's the only thing he knows how to do. Um, he's not a very defensive coach. If you think back to when he was at Watford, they played a very attack mind of football brought in the likes of Richarlison um, uh, who was obviously flying at that at that point um, so yeah I think it'd be really interesting to keep an eye on Fulham I think they could cause a few shocks this time around um, I think we spoke about Bournemouth already we're not massive fans of, uh, no. of their chance of staying up um, and Forest are really interesting um, obviously Steve Cooper did a remarkable job turning them around from bottom of the table uh, when he came in to playoff winners um, the, the interesting thing for me about Forest is that the, they brought in so many players is is there such thing as too many? 
that that would be my question because you're trying to get 12 new players to gel with the 12 players you've got existing. Um, they've got to understand each other. They've got to understand the system. And Steve Cooper's back three systems are a really difficult one to understand. There's a lot of little nuances um, that, that have to be taken into account. So that, that would be my concern about Forrest. I think that what the players he brought in on paper should make them absolute certs for staying up because there's some serious quality they brought in. Um, yeah, I'd just be a little bit concerned about the, the gelling time and that's probably why I'd be a little bit pessimistic around the initial five or six games this season until the, the players start finding their feet and start gelling and, and then we can start seeing Forrest climb the table. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's every chance both Fulham and Forrest stay up. All of these future Premier League markets can be found on Pinnacle.com. You can also find future season's point totals uh, for each and every one of the 20 Premier League sides. Uh, is there any team's total particular that jumps off the page for you, Jake? There's two, actually. Um, Manchester City being one of them. Uh, the line is set at 89.5, uh, and I'd be more than happy to take the over on that, um, at plus 168. <laughs> for all the reasons we've discussed, um, they've been incredibly consistent. Um, they've averaged 91 points over per season over the last five campaigns. So we only need them to hit the average for this bet to win. Um, you add in the the Erling Haaland factor and the fact that he might add make them even sharper of the spear at the top of the top of the pitch. Um, and yeah, I think they could easily break 90 points again and you know it wouldn't be at all surprising if they got near what they did last season or a couple of years ago where they hit 97, 98. Uh, just because I think they're, they're so far clear of everyone else in the league. And uh, the second team was Crystal Palace. Their line is set at 46.5. Um, they hit 48 last season. So they beat this line last season. And, and I think they continue to just get better and better under Patrick Vieira, particularly because it's such a young group of players um, and that there is only upside for them, in my opinion. You know, you've got the likes of Elise, massive fan of him. I think he could have a really good season. Um, Ebreche Eze, who's good, you know, struggled with, fit, with injuries last season. They'll be coming back fit just to make them even more exciting to watch. So, um, yeah, th- those would be my two in the, in the point market um the palace ones at minus 115 uh the point total at 46.5 i wanted to reiterate on the the city total at 89.5 at plus 168 seems like there's some really good value there if you believe they can replicate the season they had last year they had 93 points so they're going to be four points worse this season than last what is the variable that would make one think that they would be that far off what they did last year. Same thing with Liverpool at over 85 and a half points. If you believe they're a title contender and they're going to have to, you know, they're going to be head to head with city to the end at over 85 and a half points when they had 92 last year at plus 154, it seems like some good value. The, the Basically the way the line is set, it's suggesting that things might not be as straightforward as you would expect. Does, does that surprise you? Because the public sentiment seems to be here that it's City and Liverpool, that both of these sides are going to run run away with things. But the, the, the way that the line in the season point total set, it doesn't suggest that's good, that that's going to be the case. Yeah, I find it quite interesting. Uh, you said there sort of how do you kind of start thinking about um points taking them off Manchester City's total of 93 I think you could probably look at it the other way around I mean there's so many games in which they drop points that you'd expect them to not drop points in last season they still hit 93 I mean they you know Spurs beat them twice which you know that's six points right there the Crystal Palace took four points off them obviously drew with Liverpool twice so you know there's so there's so many opportunities that they're left on the table to sort of rack up even more points and 
as we discussed, the the sort of bottom seven, bottom eight that we expect in the Premier League, there's such a gap between them and the top two that in theory, Liverpool and Manchester City should win every single match against that bottom eight. Um, and, and you're well on your way to that total. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. I think Liverpool is an interesting line as well, just just purely based on the consistency they've shown over the last couple of seasons. And, um, you know, it, it's fascinating because 10 years ago or 15 years ago, the average points total required to win the Premier League, you're looking at around 80, 81, 82. The last five seasons, you've needed about 90 points to win the league. So if that persists, then this line um, for both teams is going to look really, really low come the end of the season. Uh, I'd just like to continue with my West Ham bandwagon talk. They finished with 56 points last year, plus 113 for over 51 and a half points. Seems to be a decent play for me. Yeah, uh, two sides. Like a no-brainer, yeah. Yeah, two sides for me that have more question marks than most. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Leicester City haven't had an incoming. They're the only side in the top seven leagues in Europe without a player coming in. It's just, it's it's remarkable. They haven't really lost anyone either. So it's really, they're, they're as of right now, they're going to be rolling out the same side. Over 51 and a half points at plus 113. Is there any value there? Then a team with all kinds of change, Manchester United, not under, fully understanding what this team is going to be, what they're going to be all about. And some of the, the, the question marks that exist, under 65 and a half points at plus 102 seems to be a decent play to me. Maybe, maybe a comment on both those teams. One, because there is hasn't been any change and two because there's all kinds of change going on at present time yeah two real contrasting teams aren't there and um yeah i think i personally think the leicester line is about right um i think 51 and a half i'm not too keen on leicester this season myself just based on what i saw last season you know the fact still remains that defensively they were so easy to play against uh, and if that persists then i can see them sort of struggling this campaign and, and maybe finishing bottom half and, and struggling to hit that 52 points that are required um, Manchester United, again, really difficult to assess at this stage because we don't know what the future transfers might be. Um, they brought in a couple. I think Ericsson's a really good signing. I think Martinez will um, will surprise quite a few people in the Premier League um, at centre-half. Yeah, I def- I think I'd be with you in, in airing on the under just, just because I can see them dropping points in, in games that they shouldn't be, really. Um, the likes of the Crystal Palaces, the Brightons, the West Hams. I'd put Manchester United in and around that ballpark in terms of um, quality. I, I think there's, the, the, there's a big quality gap between themselves and the top five, um, in, in effect, at this moment in time. And I think that United will have a big battle on their hands to finish um, in, in that sixth spot and securing Europa League football. And unless there's some, you know, the, they do get the Frankie de Jong or... Uh, bringing in another superstar name um, uh, to just sort of strengthen what I think is the weak point in midfield. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely will be siding with the unders on the Manchester United one. And, and I personally will be looking at maybe unders on the Leicester one as well. Interesting. Uh, the final futures category that we'll deal with, Premier League top goal scorer for this upcoming season. Uh, the usual suspects um, are, are, are the favourites here. Holland at plus 245. Salah plus 450, Kane at plus 501. Then it dips to feature Jesus, Nunez, and Son, who was a joint top goal scorer in the Premier League last season. How are you reading this market? Uh, can you find any value in the top goal scorer future play? Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting market to look at because the names at the head of the market are the ones you'd expect. Um, but I personally would be a little bit wary of Harry Kane just because of the World Cup. So like Salah and Haaland won't be at the World Cup. So they've effectively got a month off to keep themselves fit, keep themselves sharp. If they've got an injury, they've got time to overcome it. Whereas Kane, you know, there's light, he's likely to 
start the season hot and try and sort of peak for the World Cup. But post-World Cup, you might be struggling from a bit of a hangover um, fitness-wise and maybe emotionally if England gets the final and lose, for example. Um, so I definitely will be looking at one of those two. And at the prices, for me, you've got to take Salah over Haaland just but purely based on his record, he's, he's proven in this in the Premier League. Um, he's scored you know twenty plus goals in every single Premier League season. He, he's placed in this market um, numerous occasions. He's won this title. Um, I think it's three or four times now. Um, I think he, he was a joint top scorer twice with uh, with Son last season and, and a couple of seasons before the Bamiyang Mane. So you know he's pretty much you know you're going to get at least twenty goals out of Salah, maybe twenty five. Um, and you know the onus is going to be on him to. to take even more of the burden given that Sadio Mane is left and, and you said Mane contributed 16 goals last season you know, if Nunes or Jota don't quite fill that gap then Salah has to take on more load and, and that could ultimately mean he scores more goals so yeah I like Salah at plus 450 and, and then a slightly bigger price at the back end of last season Gerard seemed to prefer Ollie Watkins over Danny Ings um, and the fact that there's a World Cup coming up and there's a potential you know backup spot behind Harry Kane available I think he'll be chomping at the bit to get going this season and he could he could well have five, six, seven, eight goals by the time the World Cup rolls around and find himself in the in the World Cup squad um, so yeah I, that was just a, a little bit of an outside play um, just for a bit of interest there yeah the, the only other name I throw into the equation Arsenal support right now they're bouncing they're buzzing over the over the summer transfer market in Jesus, if he's going to be that number nine, they lose Lacazette. Um, it seems like they're going to rely upon him with goals. I'm not sure if you're a Jesus truther or not. I, I think that I would side on the not. But at plus uh, 1142, I mean, you know, that's a decent number if you think that he's going to be the primary option for goals at Arsenal. Yeah, it's a decent figure um, from an odds perspective, but. I absolutely love Jesus' all-round game. I think he brings so much to the team. But as an out-and-out goal scorer, he's just not it for me. I'm with you. Every single season, bar last season, he's massively underperformed his expected goals, meaning that he gets in the scoring positions regularly but doesn't take the chances at the rate we'd expect. So that suggests he's a a below-average finisher, um, which for me... Usually to win this to win this um, this top scorer gong, you've got to either play in a team that creates loads and loads of chances regularly, match your XG, 26 XG, 26 goals kind of thing, or you've got to be a really clinical finisher, a proven clinical finisher that does it year in, year out. Likes of Harry Kane, Hyunmin Son, who have historically always outperformed their expected goals um, based on the finishing ability to sort of make that ground up. I don't think you can win this, this top scorer um, title by getting in good scoring positions and, and missing more than you should be scoring that for, for him, to, for him to, in my opinion, for him to win this title, this top scorer title, he's effectively got to get on the end of 30, 30 XG's worth of chances because he'll score 23. Um, and, and, and that would might be enough to see him uh, sort of scoop it up. So that, that's been on Jesus. And, and ultimately he's going from a Man City team that created loads of chances to an Arsenal team who aren't as prolific in attack. So yeah, I'd be a little bit wary of him. I thought Nunes was maybe worth a shout at the same price, um, just purely because I, I know we, 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 you can't really compare two, but if Sadio Mane was still in this market, would he be as big as what Nunes is? Um, and if Nunes is going to be the second yeah. option behind Salah, then you know th- that price could look a little bit big um, if Nunes gets regular game time and, and plays as the number two behind Salah. So. And uh, for context with the XG, the way it played out last year, only two players, according to the InfoGoal model, had an XG or an XG over 20, and that was Salah and Kane. Uh, 
the expect I can't can't wait to see what Erling Holland's XG and what his output could be this season playing around it in that Manchester City team. So something to keep an eye on. All of those futures markets available on Pinnacle.com. All right, Jake, let's get down to it. Uh, the first match week of the season kicks off Friday, August fifth. It's Arsenal traveling to Palace, a side that beat Arsenal and drew with them in the two games last season. Uh, you can get Crystal Palace, a home win at plus 320. Uh, which direction are you going uh, for this match? And obviously, these opening week games can be a little bit tricky because we don't have uh, data that's been produced over the course of this season. We're relying upon data of last season, off-season movement. Uh, maybe you can work us through how you look at these games and how much you even take the transfer window and preseason action into consideration. Yeah, it's, I think the, the main thing, particularly for this game, uh, is a good example, is that we've got two teams that are very consistent in terms of the manager's still the same and the, the bulk of the squad is still the same. Um, so that means that there's going to be no drastic changes in playing style. It means there's going to be no, um, you know, massive drop-off in terms of the quality of the players. We're looking at a similar kind of level from last season. Um, which, in my opinion, makes this game a lot easier to assess than a uh, Newcastle versus Nottingham Forest, for example. So, um yeah, and as you said, the transfer window comes into a little bit. You have to think Arsenal have strengthened somewhat, so you probably give them a couple of notches up in terms of the rating system. Um, Crystal Palace, I would probably keep them the same. I know they lost Gallagher, but they brought in Decore. Um, and as I said, they've got the likes of Elise and Eze who will be coming back to full fitness ahead of this start of season. Um, so yeah, in, in this game, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm happy with where I've got both teams in my head anyway. Um, and, and I was just hugely surprised to see Arsenal odds on it, uh, to win at Palace. Uh, you know, for all the transfers they've made, for all the improvements they're making slowly under Arteta, there's no way they should be going off odds on favourites at Sellers Park. It's a difficult place to go for start. Uh, and Crystal Palace, as I mentioned before, uh, they're one of the best teams last season based on expected goals. They ranked as the sixth best team, a place below Arsenal. So you know, they're not that far away from what Arsenal were last season. And I don't think they're going to be too far away this season based on the underlying metrics. So more than happy to get Crystal Palace on side. Um, backing them plus 0.5 on the Asian handicap, uh, minus 103. So basically Crystal Palace to win or draw the game. Um, and that'll give us a, a sort of a nice payout. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, only, the other thing that really sort of came into my mind was um, not only the overall performances of Crystal Palace last season, but at home, they were absolutely sensational. They averaged 1.6 expected goals for per game, 0.97 expected goals against per game. That defensive total is actually the third best home defence in the entire Premier League. Only Manchester City and Liverpool performed better defensively uh, at home than Crystal Palace did based on expected goals. And you factor in the that the, they against the top six when they welcomed the top six to Sellers Park. They won three, drew one and lost two, including a 3-0 win over Arsenal. So when when welcoming, um, you know, the, the, the toughest teams in the league to their raucous home venue, they've got a really good record. Um, so yeah, I'm more than happy to side with Palace. And Arsenal's away form was the one thing that let them down last season. They were sensational at home, absolutely fantastic at home, away from home. They really struggled and, and that ultimately was the difference between top four and, and, and not finishing the top four. So um, yeah, that, that massive concerns for me anyway, um, heading to what is, in my opinion, one of the toughest places to go in the, in the Premier League. A Craven Cottage, uh, potentially rude welcome back to the Premier League for Fulham as they welcome Liverpool this weekend on Saturday. It's the early match, plus 882 for a Fulham win, plus 466 for the draw, minus 305 
five for a Liverpool win. Are you looking at either or any of those markets? Are you looking at the goals totals? Where, where, where are you going with this one? So, um, yeah, I, I've settled on Fulham plus two on the Asian handicap, um, which is at minus 133. And that basically means that if Liverpool win by two goals exactly, uh, we get half loss. Um, so if, if we put £10 down, we'll, only, we'll lose £5. If, if Liverpool win 2-0, they win 3-0, 4-0, we lose all our stake. But if Fulham keep the, keep the game tight and lose by just a one goal, uh, then we get a full winner. So um, I'm happy to give Fulham a little bit of a chance on this opening weekend and 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 hoping that they, they can play Liverpool really tough and tight. And the other thing we've got to factor in is that Liverpool, there's a lot of moaning and groaning from Jurgen Klopp uh, early, uh, in, in terms of the pre-season schedule, in terms of the community shield, in terms of the players are being tired and overworked and all sorts of stuff. Fulham's very, they've kept things very quiet. They're, I think they're fairly confident they can have a good season and, and, and I'm fairly confident of doing that as well. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if they caught Liverpool a little bit cold and, uh, and played them really, really tight. In recent games, they played them tight as well. At least their last three uh, in the Premier League have all been decided by a goal or less. You just wonder with so many new players coming in, how they'll kind of transition into Marco Silva's side. Um, I like this one to be closer as well. Whether playing in the shield, how that will impact Liverpool. There's a lot to this game. How much more is it of a difficult read is it with the sides that are coming up for the league championship to kind of get a feel for what they're all about? Because admittedly, this Fulham side will look different than the team that played last season. Yeah, it is difficult, and and especially the the signing players we're not used to seeing. Uh, you know, everyone's watched Erling Haaland, but very few people have watched Xiao Polinia, who, who was yeah. a sport in Lisbon and uh, who's going to come in and anchor the midfields. But anyone who has watched him knows that he's very good. Um, he will provide a perfect pivot and a platform for this Fulham team from an, a defensive and attacking standpoint. Um, so, you know, you have to factor those kind of things in a little bit more with the newly promoted teams. But also we look at the... Um, past history of, of teams that have been promoted to the Premier League, the, the levels in which they showed in the Championship and then the levels they showed in the Premier League. And we've sort of come to um, a sort of reasoned conclusion as to what we'd expect to see from um, the likes of, uh, of Fulham, Nottingham Forest, etc. So in, the, in this in this time around, I mean, yeah, they, they've been, as I said, the best team in the Championship in Fickles ever seen. So we're, we're talking unprecedented levels in terms of trying to figure out what they're going to be this time around. But we would probably expect them to be better than the likes of a, a Norwich who come up, better than a Watford who come up, and probably more in line with a, a Leeds and a Wolves in terms of their competitive nature. So um, that, that's probably where I stand right now on Fulham. Uh, things will change probably in six weeks' time when we're six games down the line and we have got a much clearer picture of what, what we expect to see from them this time around. In the late game on Saturday from Goodison Park, it's Everton and Chelsea. The, the, the summer window has been a difficult one for Chelsea. Will they find Everton as much of a challenge? Everton a plus 418 for the win, plus 302 for the draw, minus 143 for the away win. Uh, how are you looking at this one, Jake? I'm looking in the goal market, um, under 2.75 goals, which is at minus 135. Uh, so that means if there's three goals exactly, we get half a loss. If there's two goals, one goal or zero goal, we get a winner. Um, and the reason for that is because of the way I, which I, I think Everton will set up. I think they'll be the same as what they did last season, at the end of last season on Lampard. Very difficult to be look to keep chances at a minimum at both ends of the pitch. Um, you know, they, they ranked as the the, the the eighth best home defense under Lampard, uh, the third worst home attack. So it kind of shows you the kind of levels they were playing at. It was just just a complete scrap um, uh, when they were playing at Goodison Park. Very few chances. Um, and yeah, Chelsea, interesting summer recruitment. I think Kulabali and Sterling will be really proved to be really good captures. Um, 
But yeah, I, I think Chelsea will win this game, but I don't think they'll win comfortably. I think it'll be a, a narrow 1-0, 2-0 kind of win for Chelsea, uh, hence siding with the unders goal. Uh, you mentioned that Jurgen Klopp has been complaining. Thomas Tuchel, most certainly not a happy man either, saying that the team needs more talent. They need more, uh, they need some better players brought to the squad. You look at this team though, there's still all kinds of talent and it's young talent as well that some of them you just feel need a chance like Connor Gallagher last season with Crystal Palace. Can he replicate that form at Chelsea? If he can, some of those questions will be answered. The, the, the one thing they're seemingly missing is that just that reliable goal scorer. Is this a reason why that you're just skewing to the under in this one as well? Like there's some good play. Havertz can maybe have a breakout. Like Werner, is it his time? It seems like he's being available to go to leave Chelsea this window as well. So what do you make of their attack and how you can kind of piece together a lot of players with a lot of ability that maybe Tuchel hasn't seen the best of as of yet? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think that, that I don't know why he's complaining because his squad is full of quality and very deep. There's exactly. numerous players in different positions. So, um, yeah, I, I think the, the issue that they, they'll have in this game uh, is Tuchel likes to play back to front very quickly. He likes to be um, sort of very direct in the manner in which the, the, his teams play. But Everton, I, I'm expecting to play in a very deep line block and that makes those kind of transitions really difficult um, and that kind of direct football really difficult because there's no space in behind. Um, you need in some moments of genius to sort of break the, the opponent down. Um, and ultimately, that's what happened at the back end of last season when Everton beat them 1-0 at Goodison Park is they just parked the bus and made it really difficult for Chelsea to unlock them. And um, and I expect something very similar this time around. And, you know, I, I do think that's one area Chelsea are missing right now is, is that key creator that can unlock uh, a deep line defence, um, whether that be one single player or a system in terms of getting overloads and overlaps uh, in certain areas. Um, that That's something that I, I see as a weakness for Chelsea. Uh, let's move to the Sunday early match. It's from Old Trafford. Eric Ten Hag, his era begins at home against Brighton, a team that smashed United at the end of last season, a 4-0 victory at the Amex. Uh, is revenge in the cards? United, a significant favorite here, minus 181 for the win, plus 336 for the draw, an away win for Brighton at plus 530. That's where that plays. How are you feeling about this one, Jake? Again, I'm I'm happy to go with the the underdog and, and on the handicap. I think Brighton plus one on the Asian handicap around minus one one oh five. Just I think it's a no brainer in this in this game. I, as I said, I'm expecting Man United to be better this season, but not in the immediate future. I think they'll be better when it gets to about game week ten and things have settled down a little bit. You start to find a bit of a rhythm, but you know, they they they. This is a really tough game for them. It's a really tough opening game because Brighton have uh, have been one of the best teams in the league for quite a long time now uh, from an underlying numbers standpoint. And it was only last season that their actual performance more closely represented their underlying numbers. Um, so we mentioned the potential out of, of Kukurea. They'll have a contingency plan set up. They'll, they'll have a, a player a replacement earmarked for his position. They'll, you know, they've done the same with Basuma. Um, and, you know, they... they if you look at their record last season against the big six, they had a lot of success. They, they they went to Tottenham and won. They went to Arsenal and won. They went to Liverpool and drew. And they went to Chelsea and drew. So they'll not be fearful of going to Manchester United um, in this this current guise of, of sort of where they were at and, and 
they'll, they'll not be concerned about going there and getting beaten. They'll be going there to try and win the game. And, and I think I wouldn't be surprised if they did get a result. So Brighton plus one on the Asian handicap. If, if, they, if they lose by a goal, we get our money back. If they draw or win the game, we get a nice winner. Uh, I, I just wonder with the new manager at United, it has been a positive offseason despite the Ronaldo headlines and the De Jong headlines. But that always adds a little bit of a different flavor when a new manager comes in and you're not quite sure how they're going to play and what that means for the opponent as well. And let's be honest, the expectations playing at home at Old Trafford, it was absolutely miserable, the football last year for United, right? And and you just think that there's going to be all kinds of pressure to start on the right foot. Uh, how does that work into the equation? Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of expectations and pressure, um, as you said, around them. The style of football being better, the, um, you know, the, the results improving, but you know, that, that, those kind of things don't change overnight. I mean, the, the squad needs a massive overhaul and they're only like 20% of the way through that. So, you know, I think everyone needs to realise that this is a, going to be a year of transition. They're not going to be competing at all in terms of the title. They're not going to be competing uh, in terms of the cup competitions or obviously in the Europa League. So it, this it, this is probably going to be another one of those seasons, similar to what we saw with Arsenal uh, under Arteta, where it is literally you know, fans aren't going to like this, but you are just sort of writing off the season to just to get yourself in a better position ahead of the next couple of campaigns. So mm. yeah, I, I, I definitely would be more concerned about the future rather than the immediate future for Manchester United. Uh, in the late match on Sunday from London Stadium, a place where West Ham did draw the champions Chelsea 2-2 last year. The two sides opened the 2022-2023 campaign against one another. West Ham plus 418, or uh, make that plus 726 for the win, plus 423 for the draw, minus 257 for a Manchester City victory on Pinnacle.com. How does this one play out for you? We spoke about West Ham. Uh, three goals against Man United, five against Liverpool, five against Chelsea, three against Arsenal, three against City. Um, six games at home against those big six teams, average 3.5 goals. So I'm expecting that to follow suit um, uh, in this game. And yeah, I think it'd be really entertaining Sunday. Uh, let's go rapid fire for the remaining matches this weekend. Leeds United against Wolves. How are you looking at this game? It's played on Saturday, 10 p.m. Eastern time, at least Canadian Eastern time. Uh, Leeds United Wolves plus 142 for a Leeds win, plus 230 for the draw, plus 220 for an away win for Wolves. Yeah, nothing really stood off the page for me in this one. Um, so I'd happily go with a no bet. Just happy to see where these two teams are at in a couple of weeks to get a proper uh, gauge as to uh, what we can expect from them. Bournemouth and Villa plus 248 for a Bournemouth win plus 256 for the draw plus 117 for a Villa away win. If Villa are what I expect them to be this time around, uh, I think that their price of a win looks looks quite big and I'd be happy to back Villa. Uh, Newcastle and Nottingham Forest, the newcomers, minus 143 for a Newcastle victory. Any chance for an upset to be sprung against Newcastle in this one? I'm happy to swerve this one. I think there's too many uncertainties, particularly around Nottingham Forest, to, to get stuck into a bet in this one. Spurs in Southampton, Spurs, all kinds of hype, minus 261 for a home win this weekend. Are you swerving this one as well? No, I'd take Tottenham minus one and a quarter on the Asian handicap at minus 113. I think the, yeah, they'll just prove too strong for, for Southampton, who are still a very progressive team under South, uh, under Ralph Hasenhutl, but very young, inexperienced. Tottenham are the opposite. And on Sunday, Leicester City, Brentford. How do you see this one playing out? 
said, I'm not too keen on Leicester this season. More than happy to take a watching brief uh, in this one and, and focus the attentions on the, uh, the two Manchester clubs playing on Sunday. Beautiful. That's it. Ten matches dealt with. Is there anything else that we should be aware of? Anything else on your radar heading into this opening weekend of the Premier League? Um, not particularly, no. I think we've covered pretty much everything. Um, we, we've we've done a real deep dive, haven't we, into into all the future markets, the games, etc. Um, but yeah, just just enjoy it because it's been uh, it's been six seven weeks since the starts uh, since the end of the season, um, and you know it, it's almost felt like four or five months, hasn't it? So yeah, just enjoy it being back. Look forward to some really competitive football, some high quality football, um, and hopefully plenty of goals. Absolutely. It's going to start with a bang. It's going to be a very busy August and September uh, leading into the Fall World Cup. So enjoy the football. In the meantime, uh, make sure that you visit all of our Premier League predictions, articles and betting resources. Also, outright Premier League betting previews and expected points preview from our good buddy Andrew Beasley as well. It's all available over at Pinnacle.com slash betting resources. You can follow along with Jake and I at Gareth Wheeler at Jake Oz 2 z and at Pinnacle on Twitter, at Pinnacle Sports on YouTube, and at Pinnacle.betting on Instagram as well. Please gamble responsibly. Odds are correct at the time of recording. This has been great, Jake. We'll do it all again next week. Enjoy the football this weekend. Likewise, mate. Catch you next week. First show in the books. Thank you for joining us. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We got you covered here on Pinnacle.com.